Hi, everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Ryan Radzeski, here with Greg Baer, and we're the co-authors of When You Wonder, You're Learning, Mr. Rogers' Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, Caring Kids. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Katie Martin and Devin Vodichka, the Chief Impact Officer and Chief Executive Officer of the Learner-Centered Collaborative, a nonprofit envisioning education ecosystems that empower all learners to know who they are, to thrive in community, and to engage in the world as their best selves. Katie is the author of Evolving Education and Learner-Centered Innovation. Devin is the author of Learner-Centered Leadership, a blueprint for transformational change in learning communities. Katie and Devin, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. Thanks so much for having us. It's a privilege to be here with you. Before we dive into what you do, both as a team and as individuals, let's start with what's arguably the most essential term when it comes to your work, learner-centered. What does it mean to put learners at the center, Kitty? At the center of what? Too often when we think of school, we think of the building, the place, the teachers, instead of the learners who come to the school and who we believe that the system should be designed around. We believe that when learners are at the center of their experience, they see the possibilities and have experiences, then they can navigate their path and they can define what success means to them, not necessarily the narrow view of what success has meant to society in a standardized way. Devin, tell us about the Learner-Centered Collaborative. How did it come to be? How does it help learners know who they are, thrive in community, and engage in the world as their best selves, as you all say? We're a national nonprofit. We're supporting 150 plus school systems across the United States, as well as a few state departments. We are focused on the shift to learner-centered education. You know, it came to be originally from some conversations that Katie and I had years ago around what's possible in education. And we're thrilled to be able to contribute in a meaningful way to these important changes in many communities. Our theory of action, we really think it's important to have clear vision for learners, think about the enabling conditions for change. We need to develop our own capacity as adults, think about how we can scale and sustain momentum for the changes that we need to see in the world so that we really can empower all learners to know themselves thrive in community, actively engage in the world as their best selves. The Collaborative has a three-part framework, Katie, that helps us think through what it means to put learners at the center. Whole learner outcomes, enabling conditions, and learning experiences. So let's start with whole learner outcomes. What are they and how do you measure them? We really work with partners to define their outcomes. We believe that this is not something that is imposed by us as a collaborative. We believe that communities come together with students, teachers, to really understand what matters most. We at The Collaborative talk about agency, collaboration, and real-world problem solving as our three anchors, but many different schools and districts and communities define them slightly differently. And when we define those, that's step one, and really getting people to come together and think about what matters most. And then when we talk about measurement, we don't think about measurement in a traditional sense of we're not taking a test on creativity. We are not checking the box to say you collaborated four times this week. We're really looking at portfolios. We're looking at self-assessments. We're looking at growth over time. 
and trying to have multiple measures and opportunities for learners to understand their goals, to show growth, and to also have multiple means of evidence of how they're meeting those desired outcomes. We're really intrigued by this idea of enabling conditions because Fred Rogers, who's the subject of our book, often talked about creating the conditions for learning. He called it an atmosphere that makes learning possible. Can you tell us, Devin, about some of the enabling conditions that the collaborative helps to create? What are they? In our framework, we talk about three things, coherence, culture, and connectedness, each of which are really critical if you want to have that atmosphere or the environment that will promote and sustain meaningful change. In terms of coherence, there's a model that we talk about, the framework for the future, really getting clear on vision, mission, values, learner profile, learning model. But there are a lot of other conditions that also influence coherence, policies, the outcomes that Katie was just talking about. What do you do with your resources? In terms of culture, we think about collective efficacy and capacity building as very critical. And one that to me is probably most important is relational trust. The ways in which we interact with one another creates the context for growth and development. And in terms of connectedness, we talk about digital ecosystem. How are you using time and space, family and community partnerships, and sort of reinforcing what Katie was sharing about assessment in each of these areas. We think if you start with the learner, their interests, their strengths, their needs, and then develop these enabling conditions in a way that best empowers them to know themselves and develop that agency collaboration and problem solving. It will require a lot of adjustments in those conditions. And yet there's a reciprocal flow where as we change the conditions, we see more improvements for learners who then can help inform more improvements in those enabling conditions. Katie, I love things in threes. And the third element of your framework is learning experiences. So can you give us some examples of what learner-centered learning experiences look like? And how are they different from what you and I and, and probably anyone listening right now might have experienced in school? Often I ask people, talk to me about the most impactful learning experience you've ever had in your life. And people will say, oh, well, I had agency. No, I was learning by doing. I was learning in community. I had mentors. I had opportunities to get feedback and I struggled. And so when we think about those things, we really put them into our model of not only what people experience as the most powerful learning, but what the science tells us is actually the most impactful learning. So we've organized them in four different areas. We start with authentic learning. So learning that mirrors what we're doing in the real world, that has authentic problems and inquiry. Those are really important for young learners to really pay attention and find meaning in their experience. Then we talk about competency-based learning. So you're not getting credit just for sitting in a seat or showing up or doing a worksheet, but it's really about what you know and can do and being able to demonstrate that getting feedback, multiple opportunities for revision, having clear defined competencies that learners can navigate along their own path. Closely linked to that is personalized learning, where we have opportunities for learners to not only engage in learning experiences based on their strengths and needs and interests, but also navigate their own pace and place and path based on where they are in certain levels, but also where they are based on problems they're trying to solve. And then the fourth one that is extremely important is inclusive and equitable. And this is about the community. It's about how we learn together and how we're connected, that people feel that they belong. 
in small communities and larger communities and that who they are is valued and they can show up as their whole selves and learn effectively with their peers who are similar and different from them. So often in school, we're expected to show up, do the lesson for the day, move on whether we got it or not. And we're really saying if we want new and different outcomes for our young people, then we need to think about those experiences and opportunities that are truly designed to get them there. This is Greg Bear along with Ryan Rudzeski. We're talking with two deeply experienced educators and really good human beings, Katie Martin and Devin Vodichka of the Learner Centered Collaborative. So the two of you bring different but complementary backgrounds to the collaborative. Devin, you are a former superintendent, in fact, superintendent of the year several times over, now the collaborative's chief executive officer. Can you talk us through some of the system level changes that, in your opinion, would better enable the kind of learner-centered education we've been discussing? Boy, there are a lot, but I think the one that really stands out to me is how we define success. And I think if you take a relational view of learning and you believe that meaningful, deep learning is authentic, contextualized, and you take this view that we should be starting with the learners, we would have a very different way of thinking about success in our schools. So historically, at least in the recent past, we've taken what I would call an outside-in approach where the accountability framework has been established basically for the benefit of policymakers who then relay that information to school boards, school district leaders who relay it to site leaders, who relay it to teachers, who relay it to students. And by the time you go through all of those layers of translation, there's very limited value for the students themselves. And we should flip that script. We should really think about starting with the learners. And what could we do if we really designed a system oriented around learning? It would be fundamentally different. In that competency-based whole child type of view, we would be taking different forms of input, self-assessment, peer feedback, educator observation, community feedback in a much more holistic way. It would look and feel very different, but it would also expand the range of possibilities for learners. We would likely shift away from seat time and be thinking more about meaningful learning and demonstrations of those learning. It would also have big implications in terms of pathways for career and college. But I really think that the most important thing we need to do is reframe how we think about success and not design for the benefit of those that are outside of the system and instead think about redesigning a system around each and every learner. So this is something you've been thinking about for a long time. You've written about growing up as the child of immigrants, noticing differences among learners in a system that treated everybody the same, even when you were a student yourself. So can you just tell us a little bit about that and how it informed your experience? Well, I think sometimes we get confused about different types of learning outcomes. There are some learning outcomes that are binary, where multiplication of two-digit numbers, for example, you can do it correctly or incorrectly, that type of learning can be fairly decontextualized. And it's important that we have that knowledge development. But if we think about, to Katie's point earlier, the most profound learning experiences that we've had, they tend to be open-ended, contextualized, much more embedded in your environment related to who you are as an individual. And I think our system has been focused primarily on these binary outcomes. I, I call it like ladder outcomes where you move up the rungs of the ladder. And I think we need to shift to what I call knots, much more of these complex problems that will help us to understand ourselves, how we relate to one another, how we contribute. And I will say as a child of immigrants, we were the only Czech family in my small town. 
And there was nothing in my learning experience that asked me about my culture, my identity, my background. And that led me to feel very invisible. And this is one of the reasons, by the way, that so many of our students check out of school is that they don't see the relevance in it. So I think it's really important, again, to go back to knowing our students, seeing our students, valuing our students, understanding what makes them unique as individuals, and moving through a process of co-design, co-construction, so that they can ultimately drive their learning in a way that's really rooted in their own identity and in their own environment. Katie, you're a former teacher and a master one at that. From your perspective, what are some of the most exciting, most promising, maybe even surprising, learner-centered innovations that you've seen in classrooms and elsewhere? What I am so inspired by is systems that empower educators to really interrogate their practices, to really think about what they do and how they design their day and get to know their students, as Devin was saying. So Design 39, they call themselves a learner-centered lab school. And when you see this, it sounds so simple, but the teachers were talking about interrogating practices such as why kids have to walk in a line. And this is just a basic example of how we focus on compliance and everything then goes out from there. We spend four weeks at the beginning of the year teaching kids to walk into a line. When they don't walk in a line, we get really upset and think that they're not listening to us. And instead, when you flip that and teachers are empowered to say, What do we want for our young people? We want them to have agency. We want them to collaborate. We want them to solve real world problems. How do we design the classroom, the school, the environment to be able to do that? And so as a result, you see kids walking freely through the building, connecting with peers, deeply engaged in their reading, having meaningful conversations about current events that are happening in the world, giving their opinion, feeling like they matter, their ideas mattered, because the teachers have been given that same space to feel like they matter. There's tons of cool projects that people are doing where they're making salad dressing and designing a marketing campaign, or students are coming together to design arcades. But to me, it's really about the teachers having the space and getting to know the students and creating opportunities for them to do things that matter ultimately to the individuals who are doing the learning and taking ownership of it. Katie, your examples remind me of Ryan's reference earlier to Fred Rogers and the atmosphere for learning that he talked about and the role that we adults play in creating that atmosphere for kids. You've emphasized in your own work that if we wanna change how students learn, we have to change how educators learn. What do you mean by that? So when I say we have to change how educators learn, I mean that our professional learning is designed too often by someone outside of the classroom, sometimes outside of the school, and they have decided that there's a new curriculum or a program. We bring teachers into a building, tell them what to do, and expect these changes. And there's many reports that have shown that changes the practice very little. If we really want to change the experience of students, educators have to change their own experiences. They have to have opportunities to wrestle with problems, collaborate meaningfully with their colleagues, investigate their practice and understand what works and what doesn't. This means creating more space for educators and creating the time for them to do this and creating, like I said, the atmosphere where they feel trusted. And when that happens, I believe that educators who are closest to the students are the best ones to design those opportunities and experiences. But too often, they 
don't have that space. They're told what to do. As Devin mentioned, their outcomes of success are defined by these narrow outcomes that don't really get to the heart of what we actually care most about, rather than really thinking about how to best design those experiences for students. Let's talk about what comes next. You've written together that instead of simply recreating the pre-pandemic educational experience, school and system leaders should consider which new instructional models from the last year have the potential to improve that experience for historically marginalized students over the long term. Devin, can you tell us about a few of the new models that the pandemic has prompted or accelerated and how those models might be useful in a post-pandemic future? All this conversation now about going back to what we used to do, and the reality is, you know, we had a lot of challenges before this pandemic that need to be addressed if we're really serious about every child, every learner reaching their full potential. So I think that there's an opportunity for us to take an appreciative inquiry approach to think about the bright spots that we have seen through these challenges and really ask ourselves, why did they work? What were the conditions? What were the experiences? What made them effective? And, you know, this is a a different orientation in education, but we've talked about celebrating the strengths and interests and values, the unique identity of each learner. We can take that same sort of asset framing approach here as well. And it's not to ignore the challenges, but it's to say in the midst of those challenges, we've seen some amazing successes. Katie talked about Design 39. I've had the opportunity in the past few weeks to visit schools in Kentucky and Utah, Northern California, Southern California, and I'm seeing amazing things in so many places. And I think the public narrative, it seems to focus so much on the challenges, and I would love for us to just keep elevating the bright spots that we are seeing. And many of those are places that have been on this journey for a long time. Lindsay Unified School District in California, Juab in Utah, Circulos High School in Santa Ana, which is a XQ super school. These are schools and systems that have been thinking about redesigning around the learner for quite some time. And so when the pandemic hit, they were able to adjust uh, quite rapidly and continue to do many of the impactful practices that worked, having learners set their own goals, self-reflect, engage with others collaboratively in whatever medium is possible. If we were able to navigate through this pandemic collectively and help students to know themselves, feel connected, actually contribute during a time of great social isolation and, you know, great threat in the environment, anything is possible, especially as those conditions improve. I love that idea of appreciative inquiry. Devin, how can people find out more about the work you and Katie and the collaborative are doing? Best thing to do is to go to our website, learnercentered.org for Learner Centered Collaborative. On the website, you can sign up for Bright Spots weekly newsletter that Katie sends out. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram. We just launched a podcast, which is wonderful. So a lot of ways to stay in touch with us, but we really hope that this is the beginning of a conversation. We know that there are a lot of changes that we need to make as adults and as systems and as communities for the benefit of all learners, and we hope to do that together. Katie and Devin, before we go, just one more question for each of you, and Katie, we'll turn to you first, please. What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner? I think about this a lot as a mom, as an educator, I think that we need to stop pointing fingers and saying, I can't do this because someone else 
wants it to be this way. And what I mean by that is when I have intimate conversations with parents, with students, with other teachers and administrators, they all seem to want the same thing. They want our kids to be happy, successful in their own right, self-sufficient. And too often we don't make changes in school because we believe that somebody else want something different. So when we start having conversations about what matters most and really thinking about how to design systems to get there, that's how we're going to start making changes. Thank you. Devin? Some framing from Margaret Wheatley, who's one of my favorite authors and thinkers. And she says that if we really want meaningful change, we should be asking ourselves two questions. One is who cares about this? Invite those people into the conversation. And then the second, once you have the community together, ask the question, what's possible together? Using those two questions is a way for us to expand the circle of inclusivity and really build a movement that will help us to do better in serving and supporting all learners for the future. So asking ourselves who cares and what's possible are two really, really important questions that each of us should have in our minds. Thanks again to Katie Martin and Devin Vidichka, the Chief Impact Officer and Chief Executive Officer of the Learner Center Collaborative. Katie is the author of Evolving Education and Learner-Centered Innovation. Devin is the author of Learner-Centered Leadership. Their books are available now. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning, a Pittsburgh-based network of people and organizations that ignite engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. Learn more at remakelearning.org tomorrow.